It's just the second time in 56 Super Bowls that the host city will have a team competing in their home venue. Congratulations to the LA Rams on an incredible season so far with just one more win to go. This is an exciting moment for the city of Inglewood. A week when we invite the world to see all the things that make our community special. This weekend, LA is going to be a scene. Super Bowl 56 is coming to Inglewood, California, right next to LA at a fancy stadium with the hometown team, the Rams, in the Super Bowl. Now, I'm not a Rams fan, but I respect. So all the spotlights are going to be on Inglewood. But for the people who live, work, and spend their everyday lives here, this worldwide event underlies a huge shift in one of LA's last black enclaves. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Friday, February 11, 2022. Angel, describe Inglewood in one sentence. We're going to have a little fun here, Gustavo. How about it's always up to no good? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, really, as a city, it's more like a grittier little brother to hip Los Angeles that is coming into its own. That's L.A. Times assistant managing editor Angel Jennings, who did many great stories from Inglewood when she was a reporter. And Angel, for you, what makes this area one of the most unique cities in the United States? I would say the resiliency of the city and the people. You know, over the decades, really, you know, just the city has fallen on some really hard times. It's on the rebound again. But through it all, there was like this pride that exuded from the natives and from residents when people said they were from Inglewood. They knew the world looked at them in one way as a place with gangs and violence, you know, what was on pop culture and in television. But they knew the real Inglewood with tree lined streets and a place where black people could get a piece of the American pie. And so they took pride in that black ownership and having the city be their own. And Inglewood, if it's known nationally, it's for its cultural impact, sports to the very idea of a black suburb, but also especially music. Oh, yeah, we just can't forget about the cultural impact of Inglewood. Think about the fashion from the 90s and the early 2000s. Who can forget the Dickies, the black snapbacks, the Raider caps, the button-ups? And that came out of Inglewood. Um, it came out of South L.A., came out of this rich black culture in Southern California. Then there were the movies to kind of exemplify the black experience. The Wood, Dope, and many of John Singleton-directed films like Boys in the Hood, Poetic Justice, they were all influenced by Inglewood because he was a native son of Inglewood. And even though Dre is not from Inglewood, he's from Compton, it even had so much of an impact on him that he had to shout it out in California love and say, like, <laughs> Inglewood is always up to no good. Yeah, what's incredible about the Inglewood story was that it wasn't always this black enclave. It was the complete opposite, actually. It was originally an overwhelmingly white middle-class neighborhood. Southern California and Inglewood in particular was a hotbed of the Ku Klux Klans up until like the early, I want to say 1940s and 50s. When Black people moved here from the Jim Crow South, like Black people came from Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas. They're those strong roots that go back to those, these Southern states. And they chose these places because they were near what Black folks called good jobs, good paying jobs with good benefits. And they were secure and they were in the defense industry. And this was like right after World War II. So they had jobs that allowed them to have money and raise families and own homes, they came to a place that Jim Crow was not 
on their front porch every day, but it was there in the background. It just wasn't as overt. So they were running away from something, but Jim Crow followed. There were signs that said Caucasian only. Some cities in um, Southern California were sundown cities. That means you cannot be a Black person and be in those cities when the sun go down, because that means you might not make it out alive. Yeah, and you had a Black middle class growing, good paying jobs. But by the 1980s, the city started to see economic decline. What happened? This is what we see in so many other cities where Black people move into. There's this huge white flight, then disinvestment. So how did Inglewood bounce back from that decline to be the city that we now know? It kind of rebounded in a way by being a host to having um, the Lakers there. The Lakers used to play at the Forum. And so that kept them going for so many years. They became the city of champions because this was like during the time where they were just winning back to back to back games. In what some might call the marquee matchup of the year, the Lakers in game number two for Magic Johnson will host Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls who are riding a 17-game winning streak. Magic versus Michael tonight at the Forum. Jeff Biggs, Inglewood, California. Growing up in Southern California in the 90s, everyone thought Inglewood was cool, you know? But we also see the city hit its rough patch in the late 90s and early 2000s. How did a city that was this thriving black suburb, why did it start to languish? So the Lakers and the Kings moved to downtown L.A. in 1999. And at that time, that really impacted Inglewood's downtown, which is called Market Street. And that just started slowly crumble in a sense. And then also Hollywood Park, which was like this huge horse track. People would come from all over to witness the sport. And that left in 2013. Um, they, they closed it up. All of these economic tax generators were gone. So what do you have to keep the city going? It made it tougher for them to be able to take care of the basic things like, you know, paving the roads and trimming the trees. All that stuff impacts a community and a city and a people. But there are still people who stayed and lived there and weathered that storm. And that's why I say it's a city of resilience. So how did SoFi Stadium, the most expensive stadium ever built, end up in Inglewood? I mean, L.A. went from having no football teams to having two. Then all of a sudden you get SoFi Stadium construction in 2016, finished by 2020, and now is home to both the L.A. Rams and the L.A. Chargers. Maybe there's just something magnetic about Inglewood and L.A. sports teams? The vote was 30 to 2 for what amounts to a hybrid solution to the three teams that wanted to move to L.A. Oh, my gosh. I was a cub reporter when that news broke that the Rams were leaving St. Louis and they were looking to create and build a stadium and make a home in Inglewood. Rams owner Stan Kroenke plans to build a $1.8 billion complex that will house his team in Inglewood. The Chargers had joined the Raiders in a plan to build a new stadium in Carson, California. Neither of those plans got the needed 24 votes from the owners, but they did approve Kroenke's deal, giving the Chargers the option of sharing the facility. Yeah, when it was announced that the Rams might end up in Inglewood, there was a lot of excitement, but straight up skepticism, too. I mean, people are still angry about how L.A. lost the Raiders back in the 90s. And of course, Inglewood suffered the loss of the Lakers in 99 to downtown L.A. So describe what the reaction was to just the idea of Inglewood bringing in the Rams and the Chargers to one place. 
you know, over the years, so many teams have flirted with coming to L.A. and would use that to like then leverage and get bigger stadiums, you know, in their home city. And so at the time we were like, is Inglewood getting played? This proposal doesn't ask for nor will ever be offered any public funds. But at the center of this, it was this mayor who was you know, at the helmet, he was so sure, no, the Rams are coming to Inglewood and Inglewood will host the Super Bowl. He said that from the very beginning, almost like manifesting it. The reality is what's going on is that you have a developer, Stan Kroenke, who, who is invested in Inglewood, and regardless- It became more and more real. Every time you drove past that area, you're like, that's not gonna happen. You know, it takes forever for things to be built. And this happened in a miraculous, what, five years? It's just like, even through a pandemic, I mean, they forged ahead and showed like, no, we can do this. So SoFi Stadium is up and running and just in time for the Super Bowl. But importantly, Angel and many of our LA Times colleagues have also reported on the impact that SoFi has had on Inglewood locals. And it's not just all rah, rah, rah. Yeah, Inglewood has gone through many changes from being the headquarters of the Ku Klux Klan in Southern California to becoming a thriving black suburb to turning into a town that some people say is in need of a revival. But through it all, Inglewood has cemented itself as this important cultural hub. But is there a downside to this new era of the city? Inglewood locals, mostly longtime renters, they're facing displacement and rising cost of living. And once the shine of the brand new stadium wears off, where will they be? We talked to Inglewood Mayor James Butts about all this and it got interesting between us. That's coming up. Welcome back. Angel, so you mentioned earlier the mayor, Mayor James Butts. He's a spark for all of this development in Inglewood, specifically with SoFi Stadium. So what's his story? Inglewood Mayor James Butts has been the mayor for 11 years now. And he started off as a police chief in Santa Monica. And he always had a connection to Inglewood. And he took on the role as mayor during an economic downturn from the 2008 recession. They were struggling to make sure the roads were paved and the trees were trimmed and staffers had to be laid off in the city. And like James Butts often said that, you know, he was handed a city on a decline. And through his work with the city council and with residents, he was able to turn the city around and go from a deficit to now a surplus. And at the center of this now is the stadium. So we reached out to Mayor Butts to ask about all the facets of SoFi and what it could mean to Inglewood. And you could tell he was excited by the lineup of the proposed events coming up. In 2024, the Clippers opened the state-of-the-art basketball arena here. We were buying in 2026, trying to get the finals of the World Cup. 2028, we have the Summer Olympic Games and we'll have basketball. So it's more than just the Super Bowl. It's more than just a stadium. It's a holistic reinvention of the city of Inglewood. So Mayor Butts, specifically about the Super Bowl, how are Inglewood residents going to benefit from this game? These are questions you only ask of uh, actually minority communities because we benefit the same way every community does. We get sales tax, we get concessions taxes, we get parking taxes, but probably more importantly, we increase our brand. And here's another big brand change. When properties are listed for sale in Westchester, Baldwin Hills, View Park, Ladera Heights, they finish with Inglewood adjacent. 
you would never see that in a real estate flyer before. My colleague Angel Jennings a couple of years ago wrote about how Inglewood is one of the last black enclaves in California and also the history of how construction of sports stadiums affects working class communities. Is it really pretty? In fact, there's a lot of stories about how stadiums do displace people of color, leads to gentrification that pushes folks out. So how have you made sure that it doesn't happen in Inglewood? First of all, you're a news person, so you know most generalizations are false, right? There's a lot of facts there, a lot of reports. Okay, okay, well, no, 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 you said other places. Now let's talk about Inglewood, since we, aren't we in Inglewood? So Inglewood was incorporated in 1908. Up until 1937, Inglewood was the Southern California headquarters for the Ku Klux Klan. In fact, Blacks could not buy homes in Inglewood because the houses had covenants that you could not sell to a colored person. The first Blacks who bought 1959-1960 had to have white straw buyers buy for them. And then eventually there were more more Blacks that moved into Inglewood, and it eventually would become like 55% Black by 1975 or so. And then you know what they called that? They called it integration. They didn't call it gentrification, okay? So gentrification, classic gentrification, is when you have people of a higher socioeconomic means move into an area formerly considered impoverished or run down, buy properties, improve those properties, thereby jumping the values so the people that at one time that could afford to live there could not live there anymore. That's the opposite of what's happened in Inglewood. This is a new Inglewood with the same people, but they have great property values. They're accumulating generational wealth for their children, and they don't have to leave unless they decide to sell their properties. The other part of the coin is rents. And Inglewood, as you probably know, you probably researched this, we have a 3% annual cap on rents. We also have more affordable housing in whole numbers and per capita than anywhere in the South Bay. And finally, we have the lowest average rents of any city in the South Bay. So tell me what more we could do to make sure that Inglewood remains affordable, and I'd be glad to implement it. I'm thinking more like my friend, Erin Aubrey Kaplan. She's a reporter, and she's written essays for both the LA Times and New York Times, talking about, you know, how... She's been in Inglewood for a long time, and she's starting to see folks uh, being displaced, white folks coming into what used to be a vibrant black community. And so she's expressed some concerns about that. You know how racist that sounds? It sounds just like it did when the whites complained about blacks coming into the community. How do you displace people that don't sell their properties? You cannot. You, it's impossible. So if you're saying someone is going to pay you what you ask for your property, plus a premium to get to buy it, that that's displacement, that's not displacement, that's the free market. You've talked about this holistic approach to Inglewood. You've talked about how people used to think of Inglewood in a certain way, now they think of it in a different way. And here you are right at the cusp of it. What would you say to all those skeptics over the years? It's amazing the questions I get asked. Cities would just literally give anything to have one third of the things that have happened here in the last seven years happen in their cities. And so here's what we've done. We provided jobs. We provided recreational and cultural opportunities for our children. We've done everything that that you should do for a city. But we continually have to answer questions about what about this and what about that. But that's the best I can say. And the only thing that's changed in Inglewood, so that everybody knows, is everything. 
By the way, that last statement that Mayor Butt said, it's also the last line in his city bio. So he really believes in this whole thing that everything's changed in Inglewood. So, Angel, everything has changed, he says, but have they? One of the more noticeable changes, like, is who live in the city. As the city has experienced this renaissance, it's also getting more expensive housing, which is a boom for homeowners. Like, if you bought a home in Inglewood in the 40s, 50s, 60s, or any time before 2011, your home, like, doubled or tripled in values. But the city is actually lived by two-thirds of the people who are renters. So for those people who are renters, they're seeing an increase in their rent. They were just getting 60-day notices saying your rent was going from $1,200 to $2,600 and how they could not afford that. So yeah, Inglewood has rent caps now, but that's a development that happened in the last couple of years. I wrote a story back in 2019, and I interviewed one longtime resident, Major Stewart, who lived in the same Inglewood apartment for 23 years, not far from the stadium. Every time we look around, we see a moving van. And everybody that I know is moving out of the city. I don't want to leave. I didn't want to leave. I, I was like, I was, I was content. We documented his story in this news article that I wrote, but also in this really compelling video where he's packing up his life. It's really heartbreaking. It saddens me that we have to move, have to give up everything that we, we, we worked for and, and the livelihood that we have. And then you got to move? God, come on. It wasn't just Major Stewart. It was everyone in that apartment complex, like a dozen people. There were a couple other apartment complexes where everyone got notices that they were going to experience giant rent hikes. That story was actually pretty instrumental in helping the city create a rent control ordinance. And I think maybe like one of the first times we really got to see some of the negativity that comes along with having such an amazing opportunity like hosting a Super Bowl and having a, a huge NFL stadium right in your backyard. Angel, thank you so much for coming on to The Times. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure, Gustavo. After this break, how Inglewood's community is seizing opportunities created by the Super Bowl, both financially and in reputation. We're back. My colleague Donovan X. Ramsey has been reporting on the impact that the NFL and the Super Bowl will have long after this weekend's game in Inglewood. Donovan, welcome to The Times. Thank you for having me. Donovan, what's interesting is that the Super Bowl is usually in humongous cities like, you know, San Diego, Los Angeles, New Orleans. In this case, Inglewood, it's its own city with its own history. It's majority as black and brown town. So I understand totally there is going to be some hometown pride in it, having some of that national shine on it like a thousand percent. This is a sort of unusual Super Bowl because everyone's kind of bouncing back right now from major losses with COVID. So, you know, that kind of keys into the excitement around the event. The NFL is kind of looking at this event as sort of a pilot for how they're going to operate in this new environment, but also as teams continue to move how they can potentially get to know communities and how communities can get to know them. Uh, we don't know yet how that will work out, but, you know, I guess we'll have to see. We sent our producer, Ashley Brown, down on Market Street, which is the main downtown center in Inglewood, and there she met restaurant owner Jessica H. Liz Caribbean restaurant. 
it's been open for about 35 years and it's Jamaican food. They got oxtails, jerk chicken with rice and beans, veggies and plantain. The people that's been here, they've been here for about 20 years. So we got very old customers that can vouch for that. Um, hopefully the Super Bowl can bring us more customers and the economy can rise. Despite our COVID situation, we want to improve. It might be chaotic, but in a good way. So how have you seen black business owners in Inglewood prepare for the Super Bowl? They're excited about being able to take advantage of this opportunity. There's one woman that I met with who really is incredible. Her name is Betty Walda Georges. She's the owner of a bar called The Nile that's on Market Street in downtown Inglewood. I mean, it's, it's a big event. We are expected a lot of people, the yeah. local and out-of-towners. So it's, you know, as anything, it's a little bit scarier. You don't want to give them a bad experience. Some of them, they came for the first time in L.A. For her, it's been a really long road to the Super Bowl. She operated between 2001 and 2019 another bar called the Market Street Bar that was directly across from where she is now. And um, she was pushed out of that location because the landlord wanted to raise the rent. So after being there for, you know, nearly 20 years, she had to go. She moved her business into what had been a 99 cent store. And she planned to open the Nile, this new bar, in 2020. But, you know, we all know what happened. COVID came shut everything down, and she just had to sit there on the property, paying rent the entire time, watching her savings dwindle. The bar finally opened up on New Year's Day 2021. So for her, this past football season, the Super Bowl represents kind of like a saving grace. The NFL has done all sorts of outreach programs in the community since construction on SoFi began in 2016. What does the league say are their main goals with these programs? The league is taking an interesting turn towards the community in Inglewood. I think with all of the protests that happened on the hills of Colin Kaepernick of the NFL, that they're being very careful about getting a move like this, you know, into Inglewood, right? The NFL and the Super Bowl host committee, for example, began something called the Business Connect program in around October, where they basically drafted in small businesses, minority-owned businesses, to be able to get into their procurement system. So that way people like Betty Walter Georges can, you know, provide things like drinks at a tailgate. Local coffee shops can be able to provide coffee. And that's been really helpful, I think, in terms of trying to create some synergy between the local business community and this huge company. So, you know, a few folks have been able to participate in a significant way, but I think there's still a lot of work to be done. The Super Bowl is going to come, go, but the SoFi Stadium's still there. So how do Inglewood residents that you've talked to plan to keep the excitement and that economic momentum of the Super Bowl going after the game? You know, I think that there are two camps, that there are businesses and residents who are kind of keyed into what's happening at the Super Bowl. But then there are a lot of people who also feel like they're being left behind. As of right now, we are the only restaurant that's open here down on Market Street. And after a football season is over, probably will not really be bringing us that much business. So whether you're a bookstore, a dry cleaners or tailor, that those are businesses that are for the locals. And those people still are trying to find their way into these systems that the NFL is trying to create. There are still a ton of challenges in creating good relationships between the city, the NFL, and business owners. I spoke to a handful of people who just have 
not been reached out to, who are expecting Sunday to happen and they really don't know what's going to greet them outside of their businesses. They don't understand um, how much traffic there will be or how many people are expected to come. Um, They're also really concerned about having to enforce things like, you know, mask mandates in their businesses and not knowing who they can turn to for that. Um, There are also lots of concerns around, you know, policing that major events bring an increased police presence. Inglewood is still a majority Black and Latino neighborhood. And, you know, they don't want to see safety for visitors mean over-policing for locals. I think going into this Sunday, there's still that feeling of something big is happening in my hometown, that Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg are going to be performing at the halftime show. And Mary Mary, a you know gospel group from Inglewood, is going to be performing Lift Every Voice and Sing ahead of the game. That there is a representation component that you really can't deny. And um, for that, you know, I'm happy for the people of Inglewood to be able to feel like they once again matter, that they're once again the city of champions. Donovan, thank you so much for appearing on The Times. All right. Thank you so much for having me, Gustavo. For more Super Bowl coverage brought by the hometown paper, hey, visit us, latimes.com slash Super Bowl. That's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Next week, coffee shops unionize, segregated Mexican schools, and so much more. Denise Guerra and Ashley Brown were the jefas of this episode, and The Times show is also produced by Shannon Lynn and Kasha Brasalian with assistance from Angel Carreras. Special thanks to LA Times video editor Steve Saldivar and credit to Ken Davenport and KNBC-TV Channel 4 for the sounds of Rams fans. Our engineer is Mario Diaz, our editor is Kinsey Moreland. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera and Shawnee Hilton, and our theme music is by Andrew Eatman. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back next week with all the news and this madre. Gracias. <laughs>